You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Greetings, everyone. Welcome. My name is Andy Neal, and you are listening. To the Hiker Podcast. What is up there, hikers? This is Andy, and you are listening to the podcast that gets to know the hiker behind the trekking poles that attempts to demystify hiking, that gets to know the hiker and wants to know how hiking has changed them and how they in turn are changing the world around them. You know what this is. This is the Hiker Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For all the different ways to listen to the Hiker Podcast, go to hikerpodcast.com. And you can follow me, Andy, at Andy Films and Hikes on Instagram. For all the different ways to uh, follow us on social medias, you can go to hikerpodcast.com. And our Facebook page and our Instagram page is there at Hiker Podcast. That's the best way to kind of reach us, reach me, us, us. It's just me. It's just me at my, at my desk here. That's that's uh, the desk has a, a map of the Pacific Crest Trail on it with a bunch of stuff around me and it inspires me both film wise and outdoor wise. And yeah, it's just me here. But anyways, um, this podcast is successful. Thanks to you for listening and saying kind words and just being there. Uh, a few things I wanted to go over real quick. I have hiker podcast stickers and uh, I'm, I'm starting a Patreon here pretty soon and we're going to have some exclusive stickers on there. Um, Patreon is going to start on April 1. But if you want Hiker Podcast stickers now, just email me, Andy at HikerPodcast.com or DM me uh, on my Instagram, Andy Films and Hikes, and uh, I'll send you free stickers. Just put them somewhere where people can see them, on your water bottle, on your bear canister, on your car. Um, I was in downtown Ashland a few weeks ago and some people were like putting them everywhere. <clears throat> Not cool. Because uh, they are currently, uh, if you are in Southern Oregon, you can get big ones or small ones that ashland mountain provisions an amazing an amazing and amazing outfitter here in southern oregon independently owned and operated i encourage you in fact you know if you go on my instagram right now you can win a hat from them and some stickers as well as a sawyer uh squeeze water filter a canock vecto water bag some cs instant coffee uh, because these are all companies and, and organizations that have either supported me or been sponsors of me. And this episode is sponsored by CS Coffee and Canuck Outdoors. You want to make sure you uh, you get your stuff from them. CS Coffee, CS Instant Coffee is the best coffee on the trail. Go to CS Instant Coffee to get your caffeination needs. I say that because that's what I use on the trail. It, it is amazing. Go to the affiliate link in the bio of this episode and get your coffee. It helps out the show helps out you because you have coffee on the trail. And what I love about CSNs of coffee is not only does it taste amazing, it's not like chemically weirdness, the packaging they use for it, it's not that foil stuff that doesn't biodegrade. And they give a lot of money to different organizations and, and, and initiatives to stop global warming and waste and that sort of thing. So make sure, just go to the link in the description to get your CSNs of coffee. Also, there is Canuck Outdoors, the Oregon-based company that makes you the best trekking poles in the freaking world. I say that as someone who has broken trekking poles, who has ripped the tops of, of trekking poles. I have the carbon, fire, carbon fiber 
cork trekking poles. They are amazing. I love them. I will not go back to, I, I have used several brands. Um, so here, I've used one big name brand, another big name brand, another big name brand, another not so big name brand, but kind of known, kind of an inside baseballer one. And I just, something's been wrong with all of them. And I've had my last pair, which was a big name brand that also makes ski poles. Um, that's all I'm going to say. They, uh, they, they straight up broke on me and I landed in water and, uh, Kanak reached out to me and got me, helped me, uh, get some poles. I, I did pay for them and they are now sponsors of this episode. Uh, Kanak Outdoors. If you want your own pair of Kanak trekking poles or just a single pole, um, you can go to KanakOutdoors.com and put in hiker podcast in the promo code. And you'll get 10% off or just click the, the affiliate link in this episode and you can get yours there. They're sponsoring this show, both CSS of Coffee and Canuck Outdoors. And if you go to my Instagram right now, you can find out ways to win some stuff from them too. Both amazing companies. I say that not because I'm selling out because these are two organizations that I love and that I worked with and that I used before I even started this podcast. So, you know, anyways, amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Um, this week, super excited to have on this show, the author of alone in wonderland. I am currently reading this book. It is an amazing memoir. Um, I didn't actually read the book before I had read the first chapter on a plane from Denver, um, back to here in Southern Oregon. And I, I was dealing with jet lag. I, I read the first chapter and then I was like, oh, I'm done. Not because it was bad because I was, I had been working all week on the East coast on a shoot and there was COVID protocols and testing. So I was just tired and masks the whole time anyways you don't want to know about that anyway christine is on the show this week and she discovered long distance backpacking while surfing the internet at work like so many of us we're just looking through youtube or or wherever and we're like oh there's this thing called backpacking there's a thing called you know uh, the, these long trails and we discovered it and we you know discovered these youtube videos or these blogs and she decided that day when she discovered long distance backpacking while surfing the internet to attempt the through hike of the Appalachian Trail. One adventure led to another, and a few years later, she set out to the Wonderland Trail here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, uh, the Wonderland Trail in the Mount Rainier National Park. Her rugged outdoor woman persona started as a joke, a nod to the outdoor adventurer that she wished to be. But in the years since then, she has come into her own as a backpacker, rock climber, and trail runner. Her debut memoir, which I just talked about, Alone in Wonderland, is a testament to her decision to name who you want to be and make it so. We had an amazing conversation. I encourage you to pick up her book. All the details of that for that will be in the description of this episode. And uh, yeah, it was a great, really vulnerable conversation we had. Talked about um, how hiking changes you and how you deal with trauma and other things on, the, on, on, on this episode. And I was just really encouraged to have her on the show. Had a great conversation. So without any further ado, my conversation with author and hiker, Christine Reed. Hey there, hikers. So it's been just a huge like privilege of mine as this podcast has been going to have so many amazing authors on this show uh, who put out some amazing work. And this week we have Christine Reed, who just released her new book, Alone in Wonderland. How are you doing today, Christine? Great. How are you, Andy? Doing great. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and this amazing book. Before we get going, just tell people who may have not seen your stuff on Instagram. Everyone seems to be posting as they're getting it, they're reading it, they're loving it. Talk about who you are, where you come from, all that stuff hikers like to know. Sure. Um, my name is Christine. I 
kind of moved all over as a kid. I was a military brat, so I don't really call anywhere home. Um, but currently living in Denver after several years on the road, um, I came to hiking sort of by the long road. I wasn't really raised doing outdoorsy stuff. My parents were um, really academically focused and and focused on helping me build um, my academic achievement to go to college and to get a career and, and to do those kind of things. So we didn't do much outdoor stuff and I wasn't a very physically active child. So the few times I did get taken on a hike, uh, I hated it. So when I was in my early 20s, um, I was had just graduated from college and I was working for a health insurance company doing desk job things. And I came across a blog about the AT on um, just on my computer at work while I was supposed to be working. And <laughs> I was mesmerized. I like couldn't get enough info about long distance backpacking as soon as I discovered it was a thing. Um, and I was just so taken by the community online and how people responded to each other, how people were asking questions. And, and I'm a very detail oriented person. So when I found these people asking questions about, you know, how to dehydrate pasta sauce and like, what are the best trekking poles and, you know, just these little things that I'm like, man, I would have never known that all of that planning goes into something like this. Um, I just ate it up. I, was like Googling different things and finding out about technical fabrics. And, um, I was fascinated and I wanted so much to be part of this community that was all online interacting about this one thing. Um, so that's kind of what inspired me to hike the Appalachian trail. And then, you know, it's been all hiking since then. So before you got on the Appalachian Trail, was there any, did you start day hiking? Did you start, what, what, what transitioned you from seeing something online and be like, oh, that's cool. I'd I like to do that to getting on, you know, one of the, the nation's three major trails. Well, I did not do a ton of day hiking. Um, I did a few hikes. I lived in Little Rock, Arkansas at the time. So I went on a couple hikes there. Um, there's a very tiny mountain that is a pretty difficult, uh, like less than one mile hike to the top. It's boulder hopping and, and it's very popular, um, called Pinnacle Mountain. And so I did that a few times. And then I volunteered to do a week long trail maintenance with the ATC. Um, because I thought I wanted to go see the trail and interact with some people who had hiked it. And I assumed some of the people doing trail work had hiked it. Um, so I got out there and did a week on, uh, on the trail. It was in Virginia, um, in Grayson Highlands that we did the trail work. And so we laid like some rock steps and it just so happened that we were in the right place at the right time that a bunch of through hikers were coming through, while we were on the trail, um, moving things. And so I saw these hikers come through that were dirty and had, you know, the guys all had their beards growing and they're carrying these backpacks. And I very specifically remember one person had like a whole jar of peanut butter in the side pocket of their backpack. Um, but they all had these just like glowing, radiant smiles and it had been raining and they were just having the best time. And I thought, yeah, I'm pretty sure I want to do this. Um, and so that was kind of my, my setting point of like, okay, I thought I maybe wanted to do this. I went out, I saw these people and I thought for sure, this is what I want to do. And that was about a year before I actually stepped on the trail. So during that time I moved to Yosemite national park, 
Um, and I did a few hikes there in the time that I lived there to kind of help me feel prepared mentally. Um, but I really did not do a ton of physical preparation. So I think it's interesting about your story is for a lot of through hikers and, and this is just a, a hasty generalization, but it's this young 20 something, they just finished college and they're not in the professional world yet. And, or maybe they're in a gap year and they're finding themselves you already had a career, you were working and this thing called through hiking or hiking mesmerized you. What do you think was so dissatisfying about the corporate world that drew you to hiking? Sure. I mean, I had graduated from college only like a year before, but I had been working for this company for a couple years through college and then afterwards. Um, but I just felt like... I wasn't, I didn't have like a goal anymore. Once I had graduated from college, I just got into this job and I guess there was like, I can work to advance in my job, but it felt kind of aimless. Um, and I wasn't doing anything that I was particularly excited about. Honestly, I was answering phones and talking to insurance salesmen. Um, and it was pretty stressful. And so I felt like, okay, I don't really have a goal. I don't know where I'm going. Um, I was, didn't really have a social life that felt fulfilling to me. And so every day I was just going to work. And then after work, I would go out and drink with friends. And then I would go home, like rinse, repeat. And so I didn't really feel like progress was being made in any meaningful way. Um, but I also didn't know how to change. I didn't know what the answer to that was. And when I saw the people talking about through hiking, a lot of them were coming to it with either experiencing some kind of loss or they were looking for some sort of change in life. They were feeling aimless. It just spoke to me in a way that I thought, yes, I'm experiencing all of those things. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And these people seem to have found some kind of answer in this long distance trek, in this break from their normal reality um, that I think maybe that could be for me. So, you get on the trail. Talk about that experience. What what was the first few days like? How was it what you expected? And, you know, we can sit here and talk about, you know, your pack weight and all that stuff. But I really want to know what personally and, and, and mentally and emotionally, what was going on for you first getting on those trail on the trail the first few days and weeks there? Sure. I mean, I think for everybody, like it's never going to be what you think it is. Right. Um and I think I knew mentally that it was going to be hard, um, but I didn't, I think I took for granted like the difficulty of the physicality. I think I had thought a lot about how hard it was going to be mentally and about, you know, the transformation and what I was hoping to find as a person. Um, and I knew that work would be difficult, but I, I don't think I prepared for like putting 45 pounds on my back for the first time <laughs> um, and walking up the stairs at Amicalola and you're just like this goes on forever and it's so hard and it's hot and it's, you know, muggy out and, and it's uncomfortable. And I think I, I thought I was going to step on the trail and like somehow have a fitness that I had never had in my life. Um, and that I would just push through it. And the first, I would say a couple of days, the physicality of it was overwhelmingly difficult. And there was a lot of emotion that came along with that for sure. Um, and I also think I thought I was going to make friends like the second I got there, right? Like I'd have this backpack on and people would go, we're doing the same thing. Let's be friends. Um, 
And I did meet a few people in the first few days, but it, I'm not that type of social person to just like attach to people right away. And so I kind of found myself like meeting people and then alone again and meeting people and alone. Um, and on the, the second or third day, I met a group that I thought, okay, I could hang out with these people for a few days. Um, and actually while I was hanging out with them, my mom died and I received the phone call, um, that I needed to get off trail and go home, um, at Gooch Gap, which is not very far from the beginning. Um, so I, I really had not even settled into a groove yet when that happened. And then I spent 10 days off trail and got back on trail at Gooch Gap, um, after a break. So it really wasn't until after that, that I, I sort of figured out where I was and what I was experiencing. And at that point, it was a totally different thing than what I originally thought I was coming on trail for. So a lot of people, they get, they get on trail, they're, they're looking for something, whatever it is. But you, you've, you get on trail, you have this traumatic loss, and then nobody would have blamed you for you know, putting it off till the next season. But you get back on. What was the thought process behind that? Yeah, it was actually a really difficult decision because um, I had been planning to hike the trail for over a year when I stepped on. And it was something I wanted to do for myself to figure out who I was and what I was going to be doing with the rest of my life. And I was in my early 20s and I was definitely trying to create some level of separation from my parents and like establish myself as a person away from my identity related to them. Um, and especially my mom, I think as, as women, we, we see ourselves as reflections of our mothers and I'm sure men have the same experience with their fathers, um, that we, we at some point want to break away and say, okay, I get to be my own person now. Um, and, and when she died and I got off trail and I went home for the memorial service, I thought, okay, I've planned this trip for a year and a half and now it's just done. Like I did three days and that's it. Um, but at her memorial service, one of my family members asked like, Hey, when are you going back on the AT? Um, and I was actually like super offended by the question. I thought, how dare you suggest that I'm going to go like hike and have this, like defining myself as a person, you know, it all seems so trivial at that point. Um, but after spending about a week with my dad, I realized that me being around, you know, I kind of served as a reflection of her for him too. And that it was really painful for him to have me at the house all the time, just reminding him of her and of the fact that she was gone. And so, and I realized too, that I wasn't, I wasn't productively doing anything while I was there to help me move forward. And so I thought maybe being on the trail really is what I need right now. Um, and so I talked to my dad about it and he agreed to take over cause she had been the one who was going to send my food packages and do that. Um, and I told him, I don't know. And myself, I said, I don't know if I'm going to finish. I don't think that's the goal anymore, but I think I still need to go. So after that, you get back on trail and you, you had that, you know, that group, you, that, that group you were hiking with before, but now you're there and you're alone and you've had this traumatic event happen in your life, this loss, and you don't have the distractions of, you know, the outside world, you know, internet, TV, media and you're on the trail alone and having to process this traumatic event that just happened in your life. What was going on for you as you, as you get back on trail and you're, you're just processing through the loss of your mother. 
Um, I was definitely super antisocial. <laughs> um, after, after I came back, obviously the people who I'd been hiking with were gone at that point. They were 10 days ahead of me. Um, and I spent quite a few days really hiking alone, camping near-ish to shelters so that I felt safe, but far enough away, nobody would talk to me and kind of just going through the days very much in my own head. Um, and I think grief is a long drawn out process and it's something that never kind of has an end point. Um, but the really heavy lifting of it obviously is happening in the first chunk of time. But I think a lot of times in the normal world, we get to sort of like compartmentalize in a way we say, okay, I'm going to be sad, like on this free time that I have, and I'm going to still go to work and I'm still going to deal with my family. And I'm still going to do the responsible things that I need to do and go to the DMV and buy groceries. And, you know, you have all these tasks that you have to do, um, that you can say, I'm not grieving while I'm doing this because I need to get this done. Um, and on the trail, that none of that exists. <laughs> um, and so you really just have your own head to deal with. And, and it's like an all day, every day process. And so, you know, in some way, this was something I was going to do on my own. And so my mom wouldn't have been there anyway. So I wasn't experiencing the sadness of like not being able to turn to her um, in a way that I would have otherwise. But I was experiencing the sadness of just knowing she was gone. And at the end of the day, like, having no one to turn to, to say like, Hey, this is what happened today. Like it was raining. It was cold. Like, you know, I ate whatever that you mailed me, you know, I didn't have her just to be that kind of reflection of like someone who cares what happens during your day. Um, and my dad really wasn't like emotionally or mentally there for those things because he was going through his own grief. Um, but I think that, that, lack of distraction allowed me to really experience the sadness and really come to terms with the reality of her being gone in a way that maybe would have taken a really long time in the real world that I got to like do in a very concentrated setting. Um, and so I really spent a lot of time by myself doing those things. And then the people I did hang out with, I was pretty choosy in terms of, of the social connections I made because I had something going on personally and I needed someone to either be supportive of that or to give me the distraction I needed for a day. And so, you know, day to day, I was kind of looking for different things. And there was people I hung out with for a day because I thought, oh, this person's having fun and I just need to like breathe for a minute and like do something fun. And then there were people I hung out with who either reminded me of my mom or they were just older than me and gave me a maternal friendship for a couple of days. Um, and there was one person I hiked with for about seven days who was just like the most amazing listener. And she just let me tell stories about my mom all day while we were hiking together. And that was a really lovely experience that can also be difficult to find in the regular world, someone to just listen. So I've been a huge advocate of the mental health benefits of hiking, whether it's day hiking, backpacking, through hiking. And I think it's, it, it's, it's well documented that a lot of times people do that because they're, they're, they're processing through grief or trauma or loss. I mean, we, the movie wild and the book wild very much is that process uh, for Cheryl Strayed. Why do you think hiking has such amazing, I mean, maybe it's not amazing when you're going through it. I know for me, it's been pretty tough, but 
just significant mental health benefits and impacts for people as they get on the trail? Um, I think that that lack of distraction is a huge part of it. And I think also a returning to nature, um, especially for someone like me who didn't really do things outside much as a kid, like I didn't know what I was missing in terms of that, like feeling at home outside. Um, but I think it's something that we all experience. I think they've done studies on this, that people have like more relaxed, um, what is the word? Uh, like vital signs and stuff <laughs> um, when they're outside. And so I think we all have an innate innate desire to be outside because that's where we're supposed to be. Um, and when we get out there, we our brains just work differently. Like when we're at home and we're looking at screens and we're thinking about our to-do list and we're just in this kind of frantic anxiety-driven brain space, a hundred percent of the time, you know, unless you have like a very dedicated meditation practice or like physical, you know, people who run and things like that, where you get into more of a meditative space, you can escape that anxiety driven world that we live in for short periods of time. But when you go outside, especially for something like a long hike where you're just outside for days on end, you get to really remove yourself from that anxiety in a way that we just don't have the opportunity to otherwise. Um, and I think like you can't overstate the mental health benefit of being in space with your own mind away from all that other stuff and just really seeing and experiencing who you are underneath it all. So and I would encourage everybody pick, pick up the book, um, read, read the whole story. But when you get off trail, what was what was life like? You had this, you know, you get on trail, you had traumatic experience while you're on trail. You get off and then you go back on and then you're done with that portion. What was life like at that point? What, what was next for you? Yeah. So after I did 650 miles of the AT, I decided like, OK, I think that's enough. I've gotten what I came for and I'm ready to kind of go see what the next phase of life is. Um, I went and actually spent some time with my dad and that was really lovely. I was able to do that because I had planned to take six months off of work to do the AT. So I got to use some of that time to just spend with him. And then I moved to Denver after that. Um, cause I had been living in Arkansas for a while and it just wasn't, it didn't feel like the right fit. And so I had heard a bunch of people on the AT talking about moving to Denver. Um, and then also some friends of mine from Yosemite had moved to Denver. And so I thought, okay, I'll go there. It seems like a place people are congregating who are doing things that I'm interested in. And so I moved there and I did do the corporate thing for a while. Um, I got a job. I thought I need to fix my resume cause I took this time off on the AT. Um, and so I did work like at a grocery store for a while. And then I worked at the home office for the grocery store doing corporate training and HR type things. Um, and it was kind of the same thing as before, you know, a different experience at that point I had quit drinking and I was, had gotten into running and I was doing a lot of hiking. And so I was feeling a lot better about who I was, um, and what I was trying to accomplish, but I still didn't feel fulfilled in what I was doing on the day to day. And so at that point I quit my job and bought an old a Dodge Ram van and moved into a van full time. Um, and I just started traveling because I had some money saved and I thought, let me just do this for a while and see if I can find some kind of answer to this question of like, why am I having such a hard time 
like establishing relationships and I still find myself doing a lot of things alone and I feel like I've found things I'm interested in doing, but I'm just having a hard time like making the connections. Um, and so I thought maybe if I go, I saw the van life community as, a, as something similar to the hiking community. And I thought maybe I want to go be part of that. Um, I know myself, myself I'm, I'm pretty introverted. Most people don't realize that cause they, they hear me on the show and they're like, Oh, and, but I'm, I, when you meet me in person, you know, I'm pretty quiet. Is, do you find in the hiking and even the van life community, there's this pressure to form connections, even if maybe you're not ready for it? That's an interesting question. I think definitely in through hiking, because there's the whole trail family aspect. And I think people, a lot of people, that is what they're looking for. Um, and so especially, I mean, at the beginning of the trail, there's a lot of movement between groups and people still trying to figure out who they want to hang out with, but it seems like everyone I know who finished the AT did finish with a group that is like their family that they still are in contact with and they go do hiking things with, and, you know, they have those like lifelong relationships with. So I think in the hiking community, that's definitely true. Um, in the van life community, it's almost the opposite. It's this like radical independence idea. There are a bunch of people out there doing it, but everyone is like kind of selling it on Instagram as this like, like, look at me out here doing this on my own. Or if they're in a couple, then it's look at us, our, like our little twosie of people doing this in our van together. Um, but there is an aspect of like extreme independence, I think, especially for women in van life. Um, that is interesting. And it also it then almost makes it difficult to create connection. And there are van life gatherings and things like that, where everybody gets together with their vans and, and hangs out. But it's so easy when you're living in a van to kind of be in your little turtle shell because you're going everywhere with your house and you're comfortable in there because you've built your little life inside. And so it was really easy for me to isolate in my van um, and not to create social connection. So you're doing the van life thing and somehow you end up in the Pacific Northwest along the Wonderland Trail. What was that process like getting you from Denver to van life to Washington? Yeah, I actually, I started the trip um, going through Arizona because I love the desert. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, hang out in Sedona and, and do the desert thing for a little while. Um, but they quickly closed all of the BLM land in Arizona because they do that every year for fire season. And I didn't know that. So I got kind of booted from where I was um, after only a few days. And so I headed up the West Coast. I had lived in California before. So I stopped and saw some friends. Um, and when I had lived in California, everybody who lived where I lived talked about how great Oregon was. And so I was like, OK, I got to go to Oregon because I've heard for however many years that it's the best. Um, so I headed up. And I went to Portland and there are a ton of people living in vans and cars in Portland. Um, it's definitely a community there, or I don't know if it's a community, but it's something people do. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I got to Portland and I made a couple friends and I was hanging out and the, you know, it was summer and it was beautiful. And I was spending a lot of time reading books in the park and just kind of like loitering around. Um, and something about the city, I felt like I had gotten sucked into a vortex. Like there came a point where I didn't really want to be there anymore, but I didn't know where I was going next because I had no plan. And so 
I felt like if I was going to leave there, I needed to have a reason to go somewhere else. Otherwise, I was just going to go do the same thing I was doing in Portland somewhere else. And that seemed kind of silly to me. So I was in this very waffling, like, I don't know if I should stay or go. I like applied for a couple of jobs in Portland that I didn't really want and didn't get. And so I was, I just really didn't know what to do next. And a friend of mine called and said, come do a day hike with me and Matt Rainier. Uh, she was happened to be passing through. And so she was going to be there and she said, meet me up here and we'll do a day hike. And I had never been to Mount Rainier. Um, and after living in Yosemite, I have a really high bar for national parks, right? So all national parks are either like as good as Yosemite or not that great. And so I thought Mount Rainier, it's a national park about one mountain. It's probably not that exciting. And so I told her, yeah, I'll come, you know, I'll come check it out. I've never been there. So we met at Mount Rainier. And from the minute I saw the mountain, I thought this place is full of magic. It's so beautiful. And we were there right at the time when all the wildflowers were blooming. And so you just have this view of the most epic mountain and the sides are covered in wildflowers of every color. And it was just a really mystical place. Um, and so we did our day hike and then I said, I'm going to come back and do the Wonderland Trail. I had heard of it before and we passed a sign for it and I, it like reminded me. And so I thought I'm going to figure out how to get on that trail. And so I went to Seattle with her because she was on her way to Seattle to see a friend. And I stayed at her friend's place for a couple of days while I Googled uh, the Wonderland Trail and figured out how to get on. And so just a couple of days later, I went and started the trail. So what was that like getting on the Wonderland Trail? You hadn't really even planned it. It wasn't like you hadn't been prepping for all this time. You just decided, I want to do this. And you went. What was... What was it like getting on there you know, all of a sudden? Um, it was a little bit surreal because I had been living in my van for, you know, half a year at that point. And, and to be out with my backpack again, there was a sense of coming home to something because I hadn't backpacked very much since the AT. Um, but there was also a sense of like new wonder. I had changed so much since I started the AT that that the day of stepping out on the Wonderland Trail was just a very different experience than the day of stepping out on the AT. I felt sure of myself in a way that I hadn't on the AT. Um, but I also was asking myself different questions than I had been when I started the AT. When I started the AT, I thought, who am I? And am I strong enough to do this? And am I capable? And, and I needed to prove my independence. And when I started the Wonderland Trail, I was asking more questions about why after so much time I was still alone doing this, you know? Um, and it was also the same experience of like, this is really hard. Like it's still really hard after all this time. Um, you know, the first hike or the first day on the Wonderland trail, I started at a pretty high point and I hiked down, um, like 3000 feet, I think, and then turned back up and started hiking up and, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that the first thing I did was hike down because if I had started this hike up, I might have turned around and gone back to the car. <laughs> um, but now I'm down 3000 feet from where I started. So if I turned around, I have to climb back out still. So it kept me going on that day. Um, but also I had to deal with that, that knowledge that like, okay, after all the work I put it on the AT and, and the running and things I've done since then to try to be in better physical shape, like this is still just, it's just hard, you know? And this trail is not an easy trail. Not that the, the AT isn't hard. I and mean, it's, it's 93 miles. People think, Oh, it's 93 miles. That's a few days, but it's got 22,000 feet of elevation gain and loss. It's no joke. How did it compare to the AT as far as the physical and mental challenges? 
Um, I would say that the the physicality on the Wonderland Trail is technically harder than the AT. I think I was in slightly better shape, so it wasn't extremely harder. Like when I did the AT, it was extremely hard because I was not in physical shape at all. Um, and when I did the Wonderland Trail, it was extremely hard because it was really extremely hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's several big like three to four thousand foot climbs. Um, there's very little in terms of flat trail at all. Like you're pretty much going up or down the whole time. Um, but it's also epically beautiful. It's the kind of place like every single huge climb that you do ends in a place that feels like Wonderland. And you have that like overwhelming sense of like, oh, that was definitely worth it. Um, but it is extremely challenging. And I know people who have hiked it and gotten like, uh, knee injuries or had, um, like muscle issues in their legs from all of the ascent and the descent. So if you have like knee problems, the Wonderland Trail is pretty rough. Shifting gears here just a little bit. Uh, I'm just curious in, in this hiking culture, it is still, and this is changing. It, it's, it's very male dominated. And there's this idea that w- women or those who identify as female need to go and hike with a group or with a man or with their boyfriend. Um, you chose to do this alone and you, you kicked ass. What are the, what challenge, not challenges, but what uh, things do you hear from people when you tell them I did you know, the Wonderland trail or the AT mostly alone? What, what was the reaction for that? And how do attitudes need to change towards women getting out there and hiking and doing these things on their own? Well, I think it's interesting what kind of responses you get depending on where you talk about these things. Because when I lived in Arkansas before I started the AT and I told people I was going to hike the Appalachian Trail, they were flabbergasted and asking me if I was going to carry a gun, asking me if I was going to take a knife and asking me, are you afraid? Like, those are the questions um, that I got a lot. And at that time, all of this was hypothetical to me. So I had just done a bunch of research and in the research, it was like, you know, you're pretty safe on trail. As long as you follow these rules, don't hide or don't camp by a road, you know, don't, don't camp alone by a road, especially. Um, and so when I was on the AT, I stayed near shelters all the time. I almost never slept in a shelter, but I always camped near one because I felt safe with the group there. Um, and when I read it all online, I felt comfortable. Like there are other women out there alone. There's 3000 people attempting this every year. So you're never really alone anyway. Um, so I felt like there was a safety there. And logically, I think a lot of people can understand that when you explain it to them. But when you just say, I'm going to go hike for 2000 miles alone, there's like, people are instantly gripped by this, like, oh my God, I would never do that. (laughs) And I think as, as women, we have to understand that a lot of those questions and fears that people are putting on us, that's a projection of their own fear. And that's something that they are asking you because it's, it's what's keeping them from doing the things that they want to do. And so I think when you say what needs to change, I think that what you're doing and what so many others are doing in the community to elevate voices and, and tell stories, um, that's, what's going to change the, 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 uh, the narrative there, right. Is that when the more stories you hear of women going out and doing something on their own, the more you think, wow, maybe it's not that dangerous for women to be doing that on their own, or maybe it's not that radical. Um, and it gives other women permission to go try to do things on their own. And it's one of those kind of passing the baton 
things. You know, I don't think that what I did was radical. There was tons of women hiking on their own before I came into the picture, but I'm here to tell my story and to share that with other women who may be really feeling those fears. And I'm not saying I wasn't afraid on trail. There are definitely times I was afraid. Um, in my book, I talk about having a very close encounter with a couple of black bears on the Wonderland Trail. And that was probably the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to me in the woods. Um, but at the end of the day, most black bears are not interested in actually attacking a person. And they weren't. They came up and they sniffed me and then they left. So even that story, I feel like while it was a really scary moment in my life, it's just another example of like things aren't maybe as dangerous as we portray them to be. So talking about your book, what inspired you to write this memoir about your journey in backpacking and, and through hiking? What was it like? I did these two, I did these hikes and my life's been changed. I want to write about this and I want to share this with other people. Um, there's a couple things. So I decided I was going to, uh, write the book on the last day of the Wonderland trail. And I came off trail and immediately started writing. Um, the main reason that I wanted to tell my story is because I think that my story is really mundane and not that special. Um, I think that the, the experiences that I've had, the things that I've done and the feelings that I've had and the internal dialogues that I, you know, still experience, are things that so many of us are experiencing. Like we all have self-doubt. We all wonder who we are and what we're supposed to be doing with our life and why we are where we are. Um, and I think a lot of us wonder why we're alone. And that comes in many different forms, right? I've been alone as a person hiking alone. I've been alone traveling alone, but I've also been alone as in having a difficult time finding a romantic relationship. I have been left alone by my mother and now I am a, you know, a motherless child and we, we experience our loneliness in so many different ways and we don't talk about them a lot because there's such vulnerability there in admitting that you're lonely. Um, and I wanted to share, I wanted to share that journey that I've been on with that because I think so many of us think we're alone in the greater world too, in these experiences. And we think I can't tell people that I'm feeling this way because it will come off as weak and they will think like, why is that person saying that? <laughs> um, but I wanted people to not feel alone in that either. I think that we're not, I think we're all experiencing those things and it's only the fact that we don't talk about them that allows us to feel alone in those experiences. And so I thought telling my story would inspire not just people to go out and hike, which I think it will. And that's great. And I think hiking is such a wonderful thing to share. Um, but I think it'll inspire people to share their vulnerability and share their inner thought life a bit more. That's awesome. So now this book's been published and it's out, what's, what's next for you? Well, I'm planning to hike the Colorado trail in the fall this year. Um, and I'm also working on a second book. So more hiking, more storytelling. Very cool. Um, before we go, I ask every hiker who's done a through hike, how did you get your trail name? Um, my trail name is Lady Unicorn, and it was a little bit forced, I guess you could say. Um, I've never been a fan of nicknames. Uh, I've always gone by Christine, never Chris or Chrissy or Christy or any other version of that. Um, it's just something that I felt like was silly as a child, right? So 
when I did the research about the AT and I saw that trail names was part of the culture, I was very hesitant about that. Um, and then luckily the first several weeks I was on trail, I was being a super loner. So nobody gave me a trail name. Um, but then I got to a point where we were pretty far into the trail, you know, maybe 200 miles in and people started going, wait, why don't you have a trail name? Everybody else has one. And I had a girl sort of interrogate me. Uh, what do you like? What do you do at home? You know, she asked me a bunch of questions and I was like, I don't know, like, I like unicorns. And I was like, as soon as I said it, I was just like, that's so lame. And this is going to be terrible. Um, and she said, you should be unicorn girl. And I said, no, absolutely not. Like, that's no, this is very infantile. Um, <laughs> and so she started going through a whole bunch of other ideas around unicorns. And she uh, brought up the movie, The Last Unicorn, which is like an old 80s cartoon uh, story about a unicorn. And the last unicorn in the world gets turned into a woman and they call her Lady Amalthea. And she said, you should be Lady Amalthea. And I actually really liked that. And so for a few days, I was Lady Amalthea, but that quickly became a problem because nobody could remember it or pronounce it correctly or had any idea what I was talking about. So there was like a second conversation of like, okay, how can we fix this? And it from brainstorming came around to Lady Unicorn. And I thought, okay, I can do that. Very nice. So closing out, how can people buy your book, follow you online, follow what you're doing? So my Instagram is Rugged Outdoors Woman, and that is definitely the easiest way to get in contact with me. Um, my personal website is aloneinwonderland.com. You can purchase the book there and it comes directly from me and it comes with some goodies. You can also buy a signed copy there. Um, otherwise, you can purchase it on IndieBound or Bookshop if you want to support your local bookstore. Um, you can buy it on Amazon if you're really attached to that idea. Um, and it's also available internationally on a website called Book Depository. Um, and I believe they do free shipping anywhere in the world. Awesome. Christine, thank you so much for coming on the Hiker Podcast and sharing your story. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Christine, for coming on the show and uh, telling us about your story in your book. Make sure you pick up her book, Alone in Wonderland. Uh, get it from an independent bookstore. If you're in, if you are in like uh, in, in 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 Ashland, go to Bloomsbury and request it to get it there. You know, if you, if you have to do Amazon, do Amazon. I, I get it, but you know, there's a lot of different ways to to get this amazing book. And uh, thank you, Christine, for sending me a copy. I am super stoked. And there are. Um, some stickers and cool, cool little goodies in there, like she said in the episode. So, uh, once again, I do want to thank our sponsors of this show, CSS and Coffee and Kanaka Doors. Make sure you go to the links in the description of this episode to get uh, your CSS and Coffee or uh, your Kanaka Doors trucking poles or anything else from Kanaka Doors. Kanaka Doors is amazing stuff. Um, yeah, guys. I'm just completely flabbergasted. I say this so much. I do. I just, I, I, I put this stuff out on Instagram and I'm super vulnerable. I almost feel like maybe, like, maybe I'm putting too much out there, but you all have been so cool to me. And I hear these wonderful stories that you guys tell me of like, you know, I was really just not like, today, like 20 minutes ago, I was reading a message. Someone sent me that, you know, I was struggling to finish this trail and I didn't think I could do it. And uh, your story, well, I was listening to your podcast and your story inspired me to push forward. And I'm like, what the heck? I am just some big dude 
who likes hiking, who's barely been backpacking. And, you know, I, I day hike a lot. And, you know, uh, not that I, I, I'm just flabbergasted. And uh, you all have just been so cool to me. So thank you for listening to this podcast. I want to hear from you. Email me, Andy at hikerpodcast.com or hit me up on Instagram, Andy Films and Hikes. Let me know what you want to hear, who you want to hear from. I got, I, I put a little thing out earlier about who you want to hear on this show. Um, and I'd like to make some of those happen. And we are going to do here pretty soon a episode of uh, the Hiker Roundtable, just talking with different hikers about different things. Um, and we are starting a Patreon in, on April 1. And I'm still so hesitant about this because, you know, we do have sponsors, which helps out. You know, with sponsors, I was able to buy some of the stuff for the giveaway. And, you know, the, sp- the sponsors did give some of the stuff, but some stuff I bought. Um, and, you know, I'm able to pay for, like, you know, a subscription for, you know, the the, the music that the, you hear in the site. I pay for that. And, you know, those the, the, the sponsor stuff helps quite a bit. Um, but I would love to make this a part of my life where I can turn down other work because I'm making enough you know, not all work, but like, you know, turn down some work because I can take the time to really spend a lot of time researching and producing and even just time on the trail to gain experience and be able to talk about what I, what I've done on this show. And I know that seems ridiculous, but you all have been so encouraging me. And even when I've hinted at maybe drawing back the episodes a little bit, like maybe not going every week, I've gotten such a overwhelming response of no please keep these coming and it's just been like okay i'm gonna keep doing this so that is coming but with the patreon coming in april um i want you all to know i'm I'm just gonna be one of those things where i'm gonna be like hey patreon's here you want to help help cool and then you can go there you can find out rewards find out benefits i'm not gonna push it at no point is this podcast itself going to become a paid thing this will always be free um I always want to be able to give out stickers for free. That's something I always want to do. You know, I just want to be able to make this better and uh, make it just everything it can be. And uh, I've learned so much through this and I want to be able to pass that along. And like I've I've said so many times before, I want this podcast to be for the first time hiker to the triple crown, you know, hiker, the person who has tons of experience who gets inspired to get back out there and, and do more and to the one who's like, you know, I've never even set foot on a trail, but I'm inspired to do so now because of this podcast. And so that's what I want this to be. Um, so yeah, thank you guys so much for listening again. Thanks to see Sense of coffee and Canuck outdoors for, uh, sponsoring me, believing in me and the show. And thank you, Christine Reed for coming on the show and sharing your story. Make sure you pick up her book alone in wonderland, get all the links for that in the description with that guys. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the hiker podcast. I'll never be found I'm still-